Today's reading is from Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honourable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. The word of the Lord. Um, write an autobiography. I know who I want to do my audiobook. <laughs> That's great, Steve. Thank you so much. Now, friends, we've looked at um, uh, where we are at the moment is we've been looking at how the New Testament has, uh, or the, the New Testament church has kind of come into being. We, we saw how after Jesus went, uh, he, he had his ascension and he went to heaven, uh, he gave the Holy Spirit. And through the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles, um, the church grew and and because of the persecution, people went everywhere, and all these churches kind of popped up around the ancient Roman world. 
And so we looked at uh, how the churches came into being and how then the uh, apostles, particularly the Apostle Paul, but not just him, wrote letters to the various churches to help guide them along the way. And so what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is just some of the key thoughts, the key ideas in some of these letters. We saw how, uh, first of all, how our salvation, how our justification before God works. We saw last week that our justification gives us a new family. It enters us into the family of God um, and then it gives us uh, brothers and sisters whom we are to love and honour and serve. And now um, the question is uh, how does that happen? By faith. That's what we have been looking at. But now the question that arises out of that then is why should we then obey God if our salvation, if we are saved by faith through the work of Jesus Christ, why bother uh, actually living according to God's word? Why should we do what he says if we are forgiven uh, and that doesn't depend on us, it doesn't depend on our works, why bother uh, serving God? So today we're going to be looking at obedience to God's law. You see, obedience is a, is a beautiful thing in God's eyes. It's kind of like a gemstone. It's a deeply valuable and pretty thing. And, and, and we're going to hold up this, this obedience idea kind of like a diamond or like a gem. And we're going to look at the different facets of the gem this morning. On the one side, we'll see what the basis for our obedience is. And then turning it around, we're going to look at what the engine of our obedience looks like, what, what drives our obedience. And then we're going to step back and look at this, this diamond, this gem as a whole, and look at the outcome of obedience. And so that's, uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. So what then is the basis of our obedience? Now, I can think of at least two different reasons, but probably there are two reasons um, why why people obey anyone. The first reason you obey is because you're afraid of the stick that comes if you don't obey. You're afraid of the consequences that happen if you don't do what the leader or the person in charge says. This is the reason why people obey dictators. It's out of fear. You know, as a government official in North Korea, if you criticize the might and power of your North Korean missiles, you lose your spot at the head of the table, or rather you, use your, you lose your head and your spot at the table. Obedience there is based on fear. So should we obey God because we're afraid of him? You know, the Bible talks about the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Do we obey God because of fear? God is, after all, almighty, all-powerful, all holy he is uh, that's just the kind of god he is this holiness this bigness this um this righteousness that god has should create a bit of fear in us awe and reverence before his holy face it is not for nothing that when the bible talks of our deep respect for god or our awe for god it uses the phrase the fear of the lord now, growing up in South Africa, we had, um, unofficially, we had corporal punishment in our school. So while it was technically against the law, it was kind of uh, on the side, encouraged by the parents and the school teachers. And um, if you disobeyed in the school, you would get a smack on the bottom. 
And I remember a well-worn wooden paddle that one of my teachers kept above his blackboard hanging on the wall as a reminder for the students of the consequences of bad behaviour. It inspired a sense of fear. And indeed, it resulted in obedience amongst the students. We did what we were told, but we did not love him for it. You see, obedience out of fear does not change the heart. It might cause us to do the right thing. It might cause us to obey. In fact, it might cause us to obey for life, but it will not change our hearts. And it certainly doesn't transform us in the way we talked in our children's talk. You see, we can obey God in the same way uh, out of fear sometimes. But is it simply fear that God wants from us? Is it simply fear that we want to stay out of eternal punishment and hell? Is that the kind of obedience that God wants for us? I don't think it is. He doesn't want us to obey the letter of the law. He wants our hearts. The basis for uh, obedience cannot be fear. So then what is it? Well, what does our text say? It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true act of worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and, and the perfect will of God. In view of the mercies of God. That's the basis for our obedience. It's not out of fear. It's because of the love we have for God, for what He's done for us, in view of His mercies, in light of His sacrifices. Gratitude and love is the basis for a Christian's obedience. So what are these mercies that, that uh, the author has in view here? What are the mercies of God that Paul is talking about? Well, if you, if you uh, read the book of Romans, from chapter 1 through to chapter 12, he has spent the last 11 chapters explaining to his readers essentially everything that Jesus has done on the cross how he came or how the world is under God's wrath, how Jews and Gentiles all have God's wrath, how Jesus came to bear the sins of all who would believe and um, how all are completely lost without him and how without Christ's sacrifice we would never turn from our sin. He shows us how our hearts are completely wicked and without help and how even our good actions end up being evil because our hearts are bent on doing sin. He has spent the time showing us our rebellion against God and has shown us, uh, showed us how in Jesus God pours out his wrath of sin on him and as a result of that, we are now made right with God. That's kind of what happens in chapters 1 through 11. And he ends by saying you are free from the consequences of your sin when you trust in Christ forever, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's what happens before, <clears throat> before all this. Those are the mercies of God. 
And they don't depend on our obedience. They don't depend on our works. They don't depend on how good we are or how much we do for the church. They depend entirely on Jesus' work on the cross. The basis for our obedience is all of that. God's mercies. And Paul says, in view of everything that God has done for you in Christ. Now offer your body as a living sacrifice. If you and I obeyed simply out of fear, our hearts would never be changed. Our motivation would not be pure and over time it would lose its power. When you obey only out of fear, over time you become numb to that fear. That's why every uh, evil regime eventually topples, because the people lose the fear. Slowly you become numb to it. But our obedience is out of love for God. It's like when you first get married and your wife tells you to wash the dishes. Out of love for her, you will wash the dishes. But then over time, you stop thinking about it, and it just becomes part of your routine. And what took an act of obedience initially becomes just part of who you are. That is how it works with our obedience with God. When we first come to love Him in light of the mercies of Christ, we obey because we love Him. And over time, that obedience shapes us, and it becomes just who we are. We are transformed throughout our lives. That is the process of sanctification, right? So justification doesn't depend on us, but our sanctification depends on our obedience based in faith. And so how about you? Can you say that, that you trust Christ, that you love him enough to obey him? Do you see your obedience to him in the light of fear or love? Do you say, what a friend have I in Jesus, all my griefs and pains to bear, and because of that I'm going to serve him? Or do you feel like, what an overload I have in Jesus, all my works and words to judge? Are you obeying God out of fear or in view of his mercy? Is God your overlord or is he the one you love? How do we know? Because if God's our overlord, this is the test. We ask, okay, if this is the line that Scripture puts in the sand, how close can I get to it without overstepping the mark? But if we obey God out of love, we see the line that Scripture draws here and we run as far that way as we can. We don't want to just not have the bad consequences. We want to obey God in view of his mercies. We know the line's over here, but it's miles away from where we're living our lives. How close are we tiptoeing to the line? You see, what's happening in the heart when you tiptoe next to the line that Scripture draws is in your heart you say, I want what's over the line, but because I'm scared of God, I'm going to stick to what he says. It is a lack of faith that says what's on this side of the line, what's over the line, uh, is really what's going to be good for me. It's what my heart wants. And I know if I can do those things, I'll be happy. 
But when you love Christ, you run away. You flee evil because you trust and you know that what God has for you uh, is so much better. So where are you? How close to the line do you tow? In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice by running away from the line. Now, how do we do that? What's the, what's the power that we have to be able to do that? What's the engine room, if you like, of our obedience? How do we turn our fear-based obedience into love-based obedience? How do we do this offering our lives as living sacrifices stuff well in a way that sustains us and that keeps us going even when life gets tough, even when what's on the other side of the line seems like the greener pasture? What's the engine of true obedience? What if I don't feel the kind of love that generates the running away kind of obedience? What if I don't really feel like obeying? What, what if the sin, sin really seems like the better option? What if I really do want what's on the other side of the line? How do we actually deal with that? It's by not only seeing the mercies of God, but preaching the mercies of God to your own heart. By meditating on them, by turning again and again to the cross to see with fresh eyes what Jesus has done for you. It is to consider each day the mercy that God pours out on each of us every day. Now notice in our text, it's not uh, therefore in, lo- in view of the mercy of God, singular, as in on the cross. No, but it's plural. It's the mercies of God. It's not just in the light of what God has done. It's in light of all the mercies that you have every single day. It's not the single once-for-all decision uh, to trust in Christ uh, to, as the one who forgives your sin, but it's to contemplate the mercies that God gives you every day. Now, of course, the greatest, the biggest mercy that God gives us is his work on the cross. The greatest gift you and I have ever received is salvation, is freedom from our sins because of what Jesus has done. We should never forget that. But God loves us more than simply wiping away the the, the slate, you know, cleaning it on the cross. He gives us mercies every day that we can enjoy him. If we want to really love God, if we want to have a real friendship and relationship with God, then we need to develop this spiritual discipline of gratitude, of contemplating and thinking on the mercies of God in thankfulness for what he has done for us in each day. A couple of years ago, I was at um, an Open Doors event. They, uh, they kind of look after persecuted Christians all over the world. And uh, at this event, one of the lessons we learned uh, from the persecuted church, you see, uh, the persecuted church sees the church in the West as having these great financial and material treasures, and they consider themselves to have this deep spiritual treasure. And they're thankful for the material treasures that we give them, money, finances, support, to be able to do the work they do. But they want to give some of their spiritual treasure to us. And one of the things they want to impart to the church in the West is a spirit of thankfulness. 
And one of the things they said is that one of the principles that the persecuted church wants us in the West to learn from them is this. They say, if, uh, if you can't live in thankfulness every day, then you are dead. If you can't live in thankfulness every day, you're dead. You see, when you're a persecuted Christian, there's no room for bitterness. There's no room for hard feelings towards other Christians. One of the disciplines they have—pardon <coughs> me—one of the disciplines they have is they start each day reciting all the things they have to be thankful for. And the speaker gave us this example of how one of the Russian Orthodox Christians who was captured for his faith um, uh, practiced this this principle of, of thankfulness. And what they have in the, Rathen, uh, the, the Orthodox churches, they have these kind of prayer beads. I'm not suggesting you get them. But anyway, one of the things they do is they have these 11 beads on, on this prayer chain. And every morning he would pray and he would say, bead number one, thank you, Jesus, for this thing. Bead number two, thank you, Jesus, for that thing. Now, the problem was that this particular Christian was in a concentration camp because he was such a strong believer. And he would start his day going through his 11 things that he would be thankful for. And he would say, thank you, God, that the person who tried to rape me last night didn't succeed. Thank you that I still have all my teeth because most of the prisoners there, because of their diet, would lose their teeth. Thank you that I can still pray to you every day even though my Bible has been confiscated and I'm locked in solitary confinement. And he would go through and every day he would find something to be thankful for. But you know what the result of this kind of discipline of practicing gratitude and thankfulness does to us, friends? It gives us joy even in the darkest places. It generates obedience. It is the engine that runs our lives even when life gets difficult. It helps us to see God's love for us his mercies that are new every morning. It's true that living in this concentration camp, this Christian said, you know, some days it was hard to get to 11. But we can always get to 11 if he can get to 1. Doing this helps us to spend less time at the border of right and wrong, and more time at the feet of the Lamb who we come to love every day uh, because of what he's done for us. And you know what? Just like the habit of washing the dishes gets formed, as our love for God grows, so our sin diminishes as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And eventually, before we ever even realize it, we don't even know where the border is anymore because we haven't been there for so long. In view of God's mercies, try, uh, offer yourselves as living sacrifice. That's the engine room of our obedience. Let's look briefly at the outcome of our obedience. I'm reading here from verse 3. Uh, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. 
Now, as we have many parts in the body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then he goes on to explain how we are to use these gifts. Now, now if you've read the book of Ephesians, you'll see that there's a list of spiritual gifts in the book of Ephesians. If you've read uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, it's the great list of spiritual gifts that is listed there. Here in Romans 12, we have another list of spiritual gifts that are given to the church. And all of them are used for the sake of building up the church. Now, we have to understand that none of these lists, whether it's exhortation or prophecy or generosity or whatever it is, none of them are complete. There's one list here in Romans, there's another list in Ephesians, there's another list in Corinthians, there's a couple all sprinkled all throughout the New Testament, but generally speaking, there are these kinds of gifts, uh, three kinds of gifts. There is a speaking gift, in Romans they call it preaching or, or prophecy, teaching, exhortation. We have leading gifts. In Romans, it's the uh, you are to lead in verse 8. In other passages, you find about wisdom and administration and leadership. And then there are the serving gifts, hospitality, giving, generosity, service, and so on. But no matter what class of gifts you have, all of them are to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, notice what Paul's doing here. He says, in view of God's mercy... Uh, mercies, offer yourself as living sacrifices, and then immediately he goes in verse 3 to explain what that looks like. What does it mean to live as a living sacrifice? He, uh, he holds up this, this diamond of obedience and he steps back and he says, what does obedience, the, the obedience gemstone look like? The building up of the church. Now, you and I come here to discover a prominent Christian truth. Loving Jesus, living in light of God's mercies, goes hand in hand with loving the church. You cannot claim to love Christ and not his body. Now, that does not mean that the body of believers is perfect. Look around. Uh, We all have many flaws, right? The body is made up of broken people who come because they realize that they're broken people. But you cannot love the head of the church and not love his body. That's completely inconsistent. Brothers, it's like saying to your wife, darling, you have such a beautiful face. Your hair is luscious. I like the look of your eyes. Your freckles, they really do it for me. But your body needs some work. Try that this week and see how it goes. (laughs) Now there are some immediate consequences for us today. Loving Jesus, serving him, living as a living sacrifice means that by nature we will build up the body of Christ. It means we love God's people. We strive for their best. We choose to love them even though, just like you, they're actually pretty unlovable sometimes. If you find it hard to love the church, it is because you have lost sight of the head of the church. And you've started living outside of the view of God's mercies. We are to love one another. 
He says there that we are each individually members of one another. The Holy Spirit has given every believer spiritual gifts. You, me, everyone. And the reason we have these is to build up the church. Now, some of these gifts are used to build up the church from the outside, evangelism, so on. But the vast majority of spiritual gifts are for building up the church from the inside. And that's how we love one another. The Spirit gives us these gifts by worship, uh, to worship God by investing in His body. Now, for us to do that well, for us to serve the body well, requires us to see us as we are. And then Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think more highly than they should think. Instead, think sensibly. There is a call to humility. You see, what breaks down the church is when one person thinks, I'm so much better than all these other sinners around me. We are to think of ourselves sensibly. And so humbly come and serve one another. So looking at what Jesus has done for us on the cross, understanding who we are as a result, knowing that it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished, none of us have the right to boast about who we are. All of us stand before God condemned, but all of us who trust in Jesus stand free. And now we are to live in gratitude to that. So, will you come? Will you come? Will you come in view of God's mercy to offer your body as a living sacrifice? By obeying Christ and his law and loving the church. That is the call for every believer. So will you answer it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can, in view of the mercies of God, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Lord, as we consider how we might love the church, love your body, we pray that you will give us insight, that we will be attentive to your spirit, that we will run away from that line that the Lord draws in the sand, that we will see you, love you, and want to spend our time with you and far away from sin. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you will captivate us each day, that you'll help us to live in gratitude for all the mercies you give us each and every day. We pray that you will use, help us to use our gifts to build up the church, to grow the kingdom and to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.